Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Hunt Closet. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life on closet. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. So we know there's a lot of forces out there in the world right now that are trying to say, no, 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 you don't need to be represented. You don't need to be seen. In fact, we'd prefer you not be seen and you not be heard. And I'm talking about our LGBTQ plus community. But what I'm learning as I'm getting older is I'm not backing down for damn sure. And I'm watching a lot of other people in my own generation and in other generations saying, no, this isn't going to happen. But one of the things that keeps us alive besides our own living and breathing is having the representation that we need. And that comes in many different forms. And today I am really excited. I'm going to say right out the gate, as soon as I say who this person is, and I'm going to give you their website, please don't get distracted and go start looking because her photography is amazing. It is a just a super expressive, creative, beautiful representation of people and humanity. But it's also just amazing how she is bringing the gender fluidity and the queer and the LGBTQ and the minorities and all of this together in a beautiful way that says, we're not near as fragile as you might think we are. So today I'm excited to introduce all of you to Sophie Keatsman, who is a New York photographer. Her website is by the same name. So please, again, do not go running off. Most of you will screw the name up anyway, by the way, you'll spell it. But um, Sophie, as you can tell, I am truly excited to have you here on Life Uncloseted, sharing your story, talking about your heart, your soul, your beauty, your creativity. So thanks for being here. Thank you for having me on. I'm genuinely so excited to be having this conversation with you specifically. Oh, well, thank you. So has photography always kind of been like in your bones? Do you think that's always kind of been there for you as you, I mean, you're what, all of 12 years old? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but you're a young girl. <laughs> but is it something that I'm like you just I'm, knew? I am, well, I, I am, I guess, considerably young. I'm going on 30, but I actually have been doing it for a really long time. I think I first picked up a camera when I was around seven or six years wow. old, actually. Yeah. My dad got me into it. Um, I was an only child and um, my dad was a lifelong hobby photographer. So just picture like me and my parents and me always needing entertainment. And the one thing we always had was a camera. So as soon as he handed me that camera, I had a purpose in life. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I so, I mean, are we talking like around. film film as well as digital stuff? I mean, that, you know, even at digital seven years old. Digital first, actually. It started really? with digital. Yeah. And then I picked up film in college uh, first. Mm. Nice. It's interesting to think about that, you know, I, I mean, my daughters are, well, my oldest daughter's close to your age. She's 28. And to think about those sort of things like, okay, do they even remember that there was anything besides digital, you know, or, you know, pencils and erasers and all this sort of stuff. It's always really funny. And as you know, not that I'm putting it out there, but, you know, as I'm thinking about, oh, what will my grandchildren, you know, be exposed to? But um, right. so what was the bug for you? I mean, what was it um, that you personally said, this is my thing? 
this is my way to go for me and keep myself besides your parents saying, Hey, you just need to be entertained right now. You know what? I think about that all the time. Like, what was it for me? I think it was a, a like a combination of things. It was being able to co- like use it as a tool of communication mm. of what I was seeing, what I was observing. Cause I was an observer kid, you know, I was alone a lot in my childhood. So, um, the world I lived in was what I was seeing around me and what seemed important and beautiful to me. And then as soon as I got handed a camera, I had a tool to start expressing that and sharing it with people. Mm-hmm. And then a little bit later in life, when I think about it now, looking back, I think being behind the camera gave me a neutral ground within which I could interact with people the way that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. It sort of took me out of a role of a lot of expectations that were placed upon me and it put me in a position of control and I guess also power a little bit you know Mm. by by having a person in front of the camera and me being the one that gets to tell them like um, how I want to collaborate with them and I think it took me out of like a lot of roles that I felt um, boxed in by I think almost Mm. like when you think about it I'm the only person that can be within that room of the camera, you know, like nobody can look in there with you. So I can be wherever I want to be as long as I have that camera in my hand. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm, I'm curious as this at seven years old, this creativity, this spark, this, all of this started to, you know, come about for you. How much of that began to also inform you as your own individual that, I'm not conforming to some of the norms either. Like the norms of female, male, gender fluid, not gender fluid, lesbian, not lesbian, gay, not. I mean, when did that start to spark and how much of the creativity was a lens to, oh, the world looks really different? That is a really good question too. The like conscious realization of that came Mm -hmm. quite late for me in life. I moved to New York City from Germany when I was 22. Um, Mm. And I had my coming out like six months into living across, like across the globe from where I grew up and the people that, you know, sort of knew who I had grown up and been raised to be. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my life, I actually lived not being consciously aware of the fact that I was queer or that I would later come to identify as non-binary either because I, it didn't really, it wasn't, I couldn't grasp it. And it's really interesting because when I was in probably like my mid-teens, like 15, 16, I was already completely engrossed in the world of like fashion and beauty photography and like art photography as a creative expression. And I had um, a wall in my bedroom completely plastered with like the world's most famous fashion and beauty photographers. And it was all... I think we can all picture like it was all the same type of woman, you know, white, skinny, straight, very male gaze presented. Um, And when I think about it now, I like I would not have identified with any of the women on my wall. Um, And then later when I, you know, when my personal life started changing so drastically, I realized that I had a tool and I had a lens with which I could change the images that would have hung on my wall Mm. back then. 
and then it all of a sudden clicked, you know? What was that click like for you? Because I, I think I, I always say this when I'm coaching people, like there's going to be that moment or there's going to be that click or there's going to be that, that like just for some people I say, you know, it depends on how they like look at stuff, the lens they look through. Um, like it could be the switch that happened for you. I know for me, the click really was when I finally realized I had been dating a girl and was struggling with all this. And I was, I was in college when all this started to really unfold for me and going through the motions, it happened to be somebody who my parents had come to visit and my dad had said, Oh, isn't she beautiful? You should be dating somebody like that. Now yeah. that was the pressure I had. So to speak, not that he said, go do that. I had been dating somebody else at the time. And then we broke up shortly after that just because it wasn't working. And so I kind of sought this gal out. I'm like, Oh, she was pretty. She was a beautiful gal. And it was the epitome of following in my father's footsteps of like having the beautiful woman. But then I remember when her and I broke up, I was a little heartbroken, wasn't like completely shattered. And she started dating this other guy. And all I could think about was he was so handsome and so hot. And that was my click. <laughs> yep. That was my click. Now I knew this all along because there were guys I would find myself attracted to, but it was like, oh no, push that down, push it down. And it was just because of that situation where I was so into her. And then to move from so into her to suddenly heartbroken and then seeing her with him, most guys would be insanely jealous, right? <laughs> well, I was yeah. insanely jealous in a weird way, like, of her. I wish I was her, right? Yes. Uh, so that was my click, like, okay, this is real. And this is when I finally started giving it some breath and starting letting it be who it was. But was there a click for you that just like, you, you just really truly knew it? Like, this is my way of saying I'm stepping into being me. And I'm curious, was it a gradual, because I've talked to lots of people, was it like, well, I might be lesbian or I might be gay or I might be queer. But then when did the gender fluidity really hit for you? No, mine was not a gradual click. Mine was more like, oh, I got, I got ran over with a truck. <laughs> it was a, I mean, I did struggle in the life that I was living back in Europe, kind of similar to you, I was in straight relationships for like seven years. Mm -hmm. And the longest one was four years. And there was breakups that were heartbreaking to a certain degree, kind of like you, like, it hurts, like you care for the person, but there was so many parts of it that were insanely difficult and never felt right. Right. And I really struggled with that. I really struggled because I struggled with the shame of not feeling normal. And I struggled with the shame of not feeling like I felt the emotions that all of my peers were feeling around mm. me. And there was a long time in my life where I thought that I might never get to experience that in my entire life because I didn't know why I felt like that. Like you mm. could have asked me, Sophie, are you gay? And I would have said no one believed it. Because mm -hmm. in my reality, the way that I was raised, women weren't gay. Yeah, right. And then I moved away from everything I knew. And anybody that raised me or thought that they knew who I was, because I had this inkling that the life in, in Europe didn't feel sustainable to me. I never fantasized about marriage. I never fantasized mm -hmm. about having kids. And I also knew that deep down, I was very, very lost and very frightened by some of the experiences that I was making in those relationships. 
And to me, the most logical solution to that was to leave. I had to leave. Um, and I was lucky enough that that was accessible to me. Like I had come to New York City and had never felt so free in my entire life. So I didn't know what it was I was running towards, which ultimately was freedom and finding myself. But I knew that it felt it felt like a possibility to me. And then I moved to New York City and nobody knew who I was. Right. And I, for the first time in my life, had enough space and freedom to ask myself that question. And I had this girl that I knew from back in Berlin that had always been flirting with me that I was immensely attracted to, but I always confused that with thinking that I wanted to be like her, um, which is a common story I hear from people right. like, from our community. Um, and then there was a moment where she confessed to me that she had fallen in love with me. And that hit me like a ton of bricks because it was the first time in my life that somebody that I had active feelings for reciprocated it so openly and so honestly. And I remember when she told me that it was like a split second in my, in my life, this like flash where I was like, oh, Sophie, you fall in love with women and you have your entire life because I have, but I never had the words for that. I have never felt attracted to a cis man the way that I have to non-binary, non-cis right. or women. Um, and it needed, it, and I needed her to, to be told that to my face by somebody that I felt the same way about in order for that whole like house of cards of what I thought was real to like collapse. That was so intense. I can't even describe what that felt like. And the scariest moment came right after where I was confronted with all of my own homophobia that had kept me so unaware of that huge part of my identity for like 22 years of my life, where I had to face myself and be like, can I be okay with this? Can I love myself through this realization? Mm -hmm. And the answer was yes, but it took a little bit, you know, to get there. But that's a huge piece of can I love myself through this? Yeah. Because there's so many other pieces of the puzzle that are telling us you shouldn't be loved and that's not who you should be and that's not how you should show up in the world. And so that negativity, negativity, negativity. And even as I looked at some of your work, it's so interesting to see the representation that you, you know, have shown with people with uh, it's alopecia and stuff like that, where they're like beautiful, absolutely stunningly beautiful people, but the world would look at them and go, no, no, yeah. that's not, that's not. No, we don't want you, you know, as a certain ex president of our lovely country would say, we don't need to see stuff like that. We can't hide this stuff. This is who humans are. We are a wonderful mixture of, you know, beauty and flaws and all of these things. And as again, as I looked at your work, that's the thing that kept showing up for me is like the beauty of seeing same sex couples and the beauty of seeing people with different, you know, just backgrounds and shades of skin and everything. It's one of those things that somebody in every part of this world, even down to people that are some of our biggest haters right now, somebody's telling them they can't be who they want to be. And so I think the beauty of what you're uncovering here, not only with your work, but in your own journey, was that beautiful space of, I need to love myself through this. And when I love myself, that's really the mo thing that matters the most. Yeah. Yeah. It, what I 
face again and again through my work, no matter who I'm photographing, whether it is somebody from our community or somebody with a certain type of disability or skin condition or whatever kind of story they have that has put them through an experience of what it takes away from an individual if they aren't given the space to know and recognize that who they are is perfectly lovable and acceptable. That Mm. sort of others us and puts us in this really frightening position of feeling outcast because on like a human instinct level I can't even describe begin to describe what that does to a person you know that is such a deep deep rooted fear it's it's in our dna to fear that within the dynamics of our society so now when i photograph individuals i recognize that being able to provide that space to somebody to see themselves in that light of this is my humanity. Mm. And I have made that experience, that experience of, of needing to face myself and ask myself, can I love myself through this and recognizing why I didn't know who I was for such a long time because of the environment that wasn't providing that space for me. I know what that feels like. So I know what I need to give to an individual in order for them to not feel like that. And then the magical part of it is that we get to capture that moment. And I think that is what makes the beauty in the images. It's not an aesthetic. It's a moment that's captured that is purely human. And like you said, we all are those people, whether we are part of the community or whether we are a whole marginalized social group that gets othered but even you know anybody that has a human experience can relate to this but i think what you just said was beautiful because this is my humanity whether we're speaking to ourselves or we're looking at the broader spectrum of the planet this is my humanity. And, and what I love about that phrase, I mean, it gave me goosebumps. It was like, oh, that's a that's a very tweetable moment right there or X moment, whatever you want to call it these days. Mm. But um, because I think that's where the soul of who we are as beings comes to light and comes to life is when we can say something like, this is my humanity. It helps us see each other and empathize and understand and you know, even through the worst of things, I feel like even as things are somewhat chaotic right now and we see things happening that aren't good for the planet and for people and everything, to be able to say, but this is my humanity. Now, what do we want to do with that? What do we, how do we want to be in that? How do we want to show up in that? Um, I remember I was doing a photo shoot for some headshots a few years ago and I'm a hard guy to photograph. I'm a hard guy to like relax and get into it, but I have to feel it with my photographer. And I was really feeling it with this guy. He he was great. And, but he kept pushing me and he finally said something very similar to what you said. He goes, Rick, just remember, you're just a human. You're just a human. And as soon as he said, said that I relaxed completely And some of the shots that happened right after that, that sequence, I was so relaxed and I was smiling because people say, you never smile. You never smile. I didn't, I didn't (laughs) used to smile because that was like my, my protection. Like if I came off as this, cause I'm six, four, 300 pound guy. If I came off as like gruff and serious and everything, that was my defense mechanism because I didn't want anybody to figure out that I was a gay guy underneath all that. Right. 
And I think that's the beauty of what you're capturing is here's the essence of humanity. And when we can see the essence of our humanness, then we can empathize, we can see each other and bring that to much more of a fruition. So as you started, this all started unraveling for you. I'm curious, when was that? I mean, you started at seven. You said you kind of got more into this after you came here to the U.S., but was there a time when you were shooting some film where and shooting some subjects where you're like, okay, they represent this whole other life of queer, non-binary, all this. Did that start to do some clicks for you too? Like, hmm, did that instigate some things in yourself? Yeah, it did. I, I mean, I, I had dedicated my entire life to photography already. Like I studied photography in college in Europe before I moved to New York City. So I had, like, I even had a degree in it. And so I felt like I had this tool belt and I was trying to create something beautiful, but I was trying to figure out, well, how do I make the planet a better place <laughs> with what I like to do? And then I had my big coming out moment and it was like I opened Pandora's box yes. and all of a sudden I started, you know, going to all girls parties and gay bars. And I started having a friend circle of queer non-binary and trans folks. And it, I think back to that time so fondly because everything felt so intense. Um, it was almost like, you know, from a, from a black and white life into, oh, this was the big missing puzzle piece. And all of a sudden I'm starting to understand myself and then I started looking around and I was like, oh, these these people have been here all along. And I had no idea because I was completely blind to it. Like, yep. it's not like I didn't have a single gay person in my life before, but because I was so boxed in, none of it registered. And the representation wasn't nearly broad enough where I had enough examples of people that I saw myself within. You know, it's not enough to see one gay guy in a movie or one lesbian right. in a movie and boom how could you not know you're gay that's not really right. how it works it needs to be that like that click moment of like oh i am this person and that takes a really broad diversity of representation so then you know i found myself in that environment and it was absolutely life-changing for me in my personal life and that's what i do i point a camera at the things that that draw my attention. And mm -hmm. so that's when I started photographing all of these people in my life and and then also looking for models where I recognize that they have walked a similar path in life then extended past the beauty. That also included people with disabilities or people that advocate for body positivity, for example, or people that, um, models that are older, for example, like ageism right. is such a big thing in my industry as well. So all yeah. of these stories, all of a sudden, I was like, this is the platform these people deserve. And I have a tool belt. And mm. now I have a purpose. But you also shared with me before we started, you know, recording the podcast that you have a sweet spot in your heart for the elder, I'm going to call it the elder LGBTQ community. So where yeah. did that stirring come from? Other than I think it's a beautiful thing. I, I used to belong to a group in Los Angeles um, called 100 Gay Men. And it was more than 100 gay men. There was a lot of Ooh. us, but it started that way. And some of the core tenants were we had our elders. We had our, I'm trying to think what there was the elders. And then there was like the um, 
I'm going to just call them the juniors, but there was like, a, there was a segment. I kind of fell in that middle segment, but we honored our elders because we knew they had paved the path. They had done so much for the movement. So where did that spark of interest come for you? I stumbled into that world, like mm. literally stumbled into that world. I had seen an ad in Go Magazine, which is a magazine for LGBTQ community and they advertise events community-based mm. events in the city and it said something like women's panel and a friend and I were like oh let's go that sounds fun um, and then we we showed up at the sage center which is a center for lgbtq elders but we didn't know that so mm. we showed up and the receptionist goes um it's for people 60 plus <laughs> we were like damn it we're 40 years early but I remember I was standing in the hallway and there was an elder lesbian woman and at the time I had like short, short, short men's haircut hair and it was mm -hmm. bleached. So that was sort of grayish silver. And she had the same haircut, but hers was naturally gray silver. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she goes, I love your hair. And mm -hmm. I said, I love your hair. And then I realized, oh my God, I don't have any people in my life that are two generations older than me that are also queer and it changed my life just in that moment. And I started volunteering at the center. I started taking the picture, started taking portraits of the people um, that are members there. And I met elder queer people that I saw myself in. And I didn't realize that I needed to make the experience of meeting somebody from two generations ago that I didn't need to explain myself to. They would take one look at me and understand that I am a queer person. And I hadn't had that experience in my life ever before. And this was a couple of years ago. So I was 25 at that point. And I realized, well, I have so many friends that tell me that for a really long time, they never even pictured their life past 30 because they never fantasized about marriage. They never mm -hmm. fantasized about kids. Same as me, because I, that picture wasn't complete. It wasn't whole. There was no vision there. And I'm and meeting these people, the members of the Sage Center, started paint like filling in those gaps for myself and that's something I talk about online a lot and every time I tell this story people are insanely moved by it and mm. everybody from my generation in in my community says the same thing of like oh yeah I need to see this I need to hear these stories like I need this kind of connection with the people that walked so we could run that's the beauty of it all is that being able to see each other. Another thing that really struck me as I was looking through your <clears throat> portfolio of work is yes, I saw, you know, lots of different representation, minorities and queer and, and, you know, the list goes on. The other thing that struck me in a very, just caught me, I mean, caught me in my throat, made me want to cry and choke was the beauty of the body positivity that you evoke because there's so much well representation there as well. You know, as I sit here recording this with you one week before I'm getting ready to go on a fabulous trip with a 250 other gay individuals and people <laughs> in our LGBTQ community. And of course, my little, little boy, even at 60 years old, my little boy is showing up going, well, I don't know if I will fit in. And what if somebody doesn't think I look good in my swimsuit because it's, we're going to be on a cruise and there's going to be lots of days at sea on this particular trip. And so lots of pool time. And yet I feel so good about just accepting myself as I am 
And I think that's what I see also in your work is there's everything from, you know, people who are, are very, you know, what some would call obese being photographed in beautiful ways to show the beauty of their bodies to those who've gone through some tragic mastectomies or, or gone through transition operations to be who they are and saying, this is beautiful too. That has to be so, I don't know, moving, empowering. There's got to be something for you behind the lens, even though I hate to say you're there doing your thing, your job, right? But to get to have that privilege, I guess, is probably a great way to look at it. Of looking at somebody through that lens, not only through your camera lens, but through your own eyes as you get ready to do the work, and then seeing them come to life and, of course, then seeing the finished product. It has to be immensely rewarding for you. It is insanely humbling every single mm. time I do it. And I also get to do those jobs through the lens of my inner child, too. Mm. Like, I grew up with so many expectations around how my body should look as well. And, you know, that was how much I weighed, but also... Um, my gender expression was a huge thing, the way that I got taught how I should look as um, somebody that was assigned female at birth. And every time I work with people that are brave enough and confident enough to show up 100% as they are and step in front of the camera within their own power, it heals me a little bit as well. And I recognize that I'm not trying to promote obesity, for example, you said obesity, mm -hmm. um, as something to strive for. I am trying to fill a gap of, of people that have been kept out of being visually represented mm -hmm. forever, especially in a commercial industry, because yep. they weren't good enough. Mm -hmm. And how can people start to love themselves more when the entire seemingly the entire society we live in tells them that 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 they're not worthy yep. and i am a key puzzle piece to that i am the bridge between those people and the people that get put on a billboard that get put on a campaign shoot yep. and that is so important because we have created this sort of separation that advocates for commercial ambiguity you know we're trying to sell a product by putting somebody up on a pedestal and saying if you buy this then you're good enough you can be like this person mm -hmm. but that doesn't work because mm -hmm. we're changing as people and what we demand to be shown especially well, we're, in we're constantly changing media. you know that's yes, the thing. and it doesn't feel good to <clears throat> only see people that you know you have nothing in common with and that you mm -hmm. could never be like Yep. It feels good to see somebody that has the same cellulite that I have on my butt up on yep. a on a up on a billboard. That's yep. what I want to see. My youngest daughter, uh, up until just in the in the last year, <clears throat> she was a store manager for Athleta, and I watched as they transformed. Like it wasn't just about skinny, athletic, you know, bodies. They started the full figure campaigns and everything. And it really warmed my heart. And, and my daughter is a full-figured gal. And to see the pride in her, like, yes, this is how I show up and this is how I'm going to be and and all that sort of stuff. 
it just was very heartwarming and humbling, as you said, to the point that now I've had, um, most of my listeners know this, I've had two strokes in the last four years, been very blessed to have come through both of them really well. That's led to me being on some blood thinners and stuff. So I'm like a walking pin cushion. Like I barely bump something and there's a big bruise, right? And I used at first I was like, this really sucks. And now, I mean, just recently there's two bruises when I'm on two different parts of my you know, stomach. I just look at him now and I'm just like, this just shows the life you've lived and, and where you've come from and, and where you're still going. Those bruises represent that I can still feel and I'm still here. Because if there wasn't the ability to bruise, I probably wouldn't be here. And I think that's the beauty of when we step into those spaces, whether it's because of our gender identity or our queerness or whatever it may be, or embracing our quote, I hate the word obesity. I hate that word with a passion because I've been basically categorized that a majority of my life. Yet, if you look at me when I'm not quote obese, I look horrible. So that realization for me was like a true empowering owning myself. Because even though, okay, the bruises aren't pretty, I know that. But I could go into a rabbit hole about that or I could just embrace this is part of my journey. And this will be my journey probably for the rest of my life. So be it. But those I see those as beautiful little stamps of beauty that says, I'm still alive. I'm still here and I'm still worth being on the planet. So I'm curious for you before we wrap this up, Sophie, because there's an essence and a beauty to you just as I've gotten to listen to you speak and see your work. What do you feel like really got you to the space of like just embracing you? I mean, I know you've shared a lot, but what do you think is at the core of that being able to embrace you as you are? been such a long journey um and I don't think I'm done with it yet but I remember one moment where I was already pretty deep into doing this work of representation and having so many different people in front of my camera and providing space for them and making them feel showing them that they are beautiful you know mm. and I had a moment where I really realized that what I was trying to do for them, I was partially doing because I wasn't doing it for myself. Like, obviously, I'm doing this also so that the next generation that comes along can have that plastered wall of images in their room, you know, where mm -hmm. they do see themselves in. But it, I think it comes from a place even deeper than just, oh, let's make the world a better place. It comes from a, from a, a personal place of, of wanting to hear my own wounds. And I recognized that um, there was a little part of me that felt like I wasn't good enough. And that's why I was trying to provide the space for others to better their lives when I couldn't do it for myself. I felt like I couldn't do it for myself to a certain degree. Yeah, And that hit hard, you know, that hit home. And that was so, so, so valuable for me because the minute we we recognize something, right, and we're able to face it, that's when we're able to change our perspective on it. So my own work has, in a way, also helped me heal myself through that as well. 
I can completely relate to that. Every time I get to be in this environment, not just in the world, because there's lots of stuff that helps me heal, but just you sharing your story and and why you do what you do and your perspective on it. There's bits of me that are healing once again. There's just little bits of this. And I hope for some of the listeners, I, I feel like some of what we do bring here on Life Uncloseted is you're not alone. You're not on, you may feel lonely. That's true. Most of us can feel lonely at any given point in the day or, you know, week or whatever it may be, but to hear these kind of journeys and to see, and again, for all my listeners, I seriously want you to go, go to Sophie's website. It'll be in the show notes. I can give it to you right now. It's Sophie, S-O-P-H-I-E, Ketzman, K-I-E-T-Z as in zebra, M-A-N as in Nancy, N as in Nancy. Go there. It's her .com. And just look at the pictures and take your time with each one because it will help you see a bit of yourself in every picture that's here. And that's what I was doing before I got on with Sophie today. I was looking at these and I thought, there's so much of me in every picture here. It made me feel alive and humbled and willing and able to keep doing what I need to do in the world. Because when we share and we show each other our truest selves, that's when we begin to truly live our life uncloseted. So what's next real quick before we wrap up, like, what do you got going? It sounds like you got a lot of things working, but any big projects, anything you're super excited about right now? If you can share, I know sometimes when you're in that world, you can't talk about what's coming up, but. Um, um, definitely continuing to shoot the elders of our community. Um, awesome. As long as they're with us, I feel like I can dedicate the rest of my life to doing that work until I join them as one of them later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because I, I'm never done with that work. It just keeps on giving and um I feel so, so, so passionately about that. Um, and besides that, one of my biggest dreams is to encourage people that have the urge to show up visually to seek out photographers like me, to invite them into that space and take them by the hand and walk them through this process because I've heard it again and again from people that I have gotten to work with how much it changed their own self-perception, yes. how much they were able to embrace themselves afterwards and gain a new perspective on who they are just as humans and the way that they show up for the things that they want to attract in their life. And having somebody like me that can provide you that space and gift you that experience, I believe everybody deserves to make that experience and get the takeaway that you can have through that. I want for those people to know that I am here to guide you through that, gift you that, reach out to me. I am available for you. And it is one of my biggest dreams to be able to do that for others in their life. I know this, and, and I'm not just saying this lightly, that I will probably hit you up the next time I'm coming to New York. Please do. <laughs> just because, hey, I need some new, I need some new photography, but there's something about your essence that I think you could actually pull some stuff out of me. Um, that would probably make me feel really good. So 
Yeah, when you said yeah. I'm not I'm not easy to photograph, you know how often I hear that. Oh, I'm sure people? you hear that. Yes, I, I coach people that are public speakers, and they're like, "Well, I'm not easy to learn how to be comfortable on stage." I'm like, "Shut up, bitch! I'll get you on stage <laughs> and make you feel really good about what you're doing." Right? Let's see so, what you say three hours yeah. from now. <laughs> exactly. So, but something I want to just really wrap up with because it just struck me. So I was looking at your Instagram and I saw the photos of you being on the in the it looks like the Pride Parade and the advocacy for the LGBT. TQ elders and the sign that you're holding up they walk so we could run and I want to say you're walking so the next generation can run I hope you realize that I hope you truly realize that and I know you're only 30 years old but there are 10 8 7 6 5 maybe even three or four year olds that are starting to already try to figure stuff out and so I wanted to gift you that acknowledgement that you're actually walking so others can run so keep doing that please well thank you so much for that i'm full-heartedly receiving that and you're mm-hmm. right i didn't ever flip that sign on myself yet so thank you for that well now it's been flipped so keep reading <laughs> okay well sophie thank you so much for being part of my world and being available to my Listeners, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of people who really dig into this and go check you out. Follow her on Instagram. I've already started following her. I love the stuff I get to see. It's like little, little cool sound bites every day that I get out of this. And um, again, thank you so much for bringing yourself fully to the world and being who you are as your gender nonconforming, figuring it out, sort of like, hey, here's how I'm going to show up and be who they are in the world. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for same to you. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for the space you provide here. I felt super, super safe talking to you. And I'm taking a lot away from myself too. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves, and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life on Closet. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, We'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.